May the words that come from my mouth make sense because they are inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think it will come as any surprise to anybody that Christmas will be different this year. Despite of the easing of restrictions, the opening of the borders, it still won't be normal. In the same way that earlier this year, I was challenged, and hopefully you were as well, that followers of Jesus aren't ever supposed to go back to normal. Rather, we're called to pursue transformation in the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as I was approaching this time of year, I started to wonder when Christmas became normalised. I mean, the first Christmas was the most radical event in human history. It changed the course of all humanity and not just for those who believe in Jesus. Shouldn't Christmas always have been different and distinctive rather than commercialised and culturalised. And so our theme this year is very profound. Christmas is different. And during this season of Advent, we're going to be looking at the Advent themes and how they are also different. The first week of Advent always carries the theme of hope. And so this morning, I want to explore the idea that for believers in and followers of Jesus, hope is different. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, will always have a very special place in my heart because of a lecturer that I had when I was in theological college. He used to begin every class with the biggest and most authentic smile that you could imagine and these words, Christ in you, the hope of glory, with much more dramatic effect than I can give uh, this morning. At that time, we were probably the smallest theological college in all of Australia. Myself and one or two others were studying for ordained church ministry, while the others in the class were just studying out of personal interest. Yet he made no distinction between those in the room. He would just stand up boldly, look around the room and bellow, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when I was thinking about the passage that would best illustrate this theme that hope is different, I didn't really consider any other part of the Bible other than this special text. I know there's lots in the Bible about hope, but this one particularly has special uh, purpose and place for me, and hopefully by the end of this morning, it might for you as well. Hope can mean lots of different things for lots of different people. But in our crazy world at the moment, the hope that many seem to talk about 
I can break into two different categories. Windfall and bailout. On breakfast TV the other morning, the announcer, the announcer revealed that one lucky Australian had won $20 million in Powerball. I quickly asked Leanne if she checked her ticket, and she did, but as usual, we didn't actually buy one. Um, if it's anybody here who's won the Powerball, make sure that you tithe. Um, in a world that's full of stress and uncertainty, tension, confusion, it seems to be a common dream that a lottery win or something similar would solve everything. If only I could be that lucky one, then all of my troubles would disappear. But accompanying many stories of people who have come into some sort of a windfall is also stories of sadness, selfishness or self-destruction that prove the old cliche that money cannot buy happiness. The other aspect of hope that seems to dominate our culture is one where we're longing for someone else to just fix it. To swoop on in and save the day. Of course, we don't want to be responsible or do the work, and it's perfectly acceptable if we get outraged if it's not attended to properly. But at some point, we just want someone to go and fix it so it goes back to normal or the way it should be or the way that we think it should be. Windfall and bailout are the types of ideas of hope that permeate the world we live in today. So let's have a closer look at this passage and see how different hope can actually be. Colossians was written by Paul and Timothy to a young church in Colossae. And this wasn't one of the churches that Paul started. In fact, it seems like he'd never actually been there and met the people of this church. Rather, he'd just heard of them from his mate and wanted to write and encourage them. At the time that Paul was writing this, I would imagine Paul's reputation would have preceded him. Even Timothy would have had a developing reputation that people would have started to hear about. Oh, there's this guy, Paul, who's starting all these churches. He's awesome. And he's got a young guy, Timothy, that's, wow, he's going to be the next best thing. He's likely to have written these words in one of his many times in prison. But I'm sure that the Colossian church would have been made aware from Paul's friend Epiphras, who seems to have been a mutual acquaintance between the Colossian church and Paul and Timothy, and maybe actually started this church himself. Despite Paul's reputation, despite Paul's achievements and influence, Paul doesn't just deflect from his own actions. He clearly states 
that he is who he is and he does what he does, including and particularly his current suffering for Jesus and because of this little church in Colossae. This is, again, a very different hope than we see in our world today. If we are ever forced to put in the hard work or to suffer for a cause, by goodness, we want to take the credit for it, don't we? The whole fitness industry is built on the expression, no pain, no gain. You don't take yourself off to the gym and pay the membership fees so that somebody else can get fit and look good. You go to the gym so you can get fit and look good. Well, that's the idea that they tell you about. You might just pay the membership fees so somebody else can get rich, but hey, it's all for the economy, isn't it? We see at the beginning of this passage that what Paul is saying is very different to what we might see as the motivation for doing something sacrificial, difficult or painful in our world today. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Hope is not inward-facing or self-actualizing. Hope is Christ-facing and kingdom-focused and seeks out the welfare and well-being of others. There is one simple word that really just shapes this um, passage in verse 27. And that's the word, you. If you've uh, paid attention in English grammar classes, um, you would know that the word, you, has two different ways that we can use it in English. In the second person singular, or in the second person plural. And it makes it very difficult for those who are learning English as a second language, because often in other languages, they have a different way of expressing the second person plural and they do in Greek. So if you go to the original Greek, um, which I'm sometimes prone to do, um, you will find that the word you that is written in this letter is the second person plural. So if Paul was writing to the Bogan Church of Australia, he would say, Christ in you's the hope of glory. He doesn't say that it's Christ in the leader of the church that's the hope of glory. He doesn't say that it's Christ in Epiphras that's the hope of glory. He doesn't say that it's the most gifted or talented or the most influential in the church that is the hope of glory. It is every single member in that Colossian church that is the hope of glory. It's so easy for us to think that a church is a group of people gathered around a minister or a charismatic leader. 
I mean, it's how we see it work in the rest of the world, isn't it? It's the CEO or the coach who takes all the credit for the success or all the blame for the failure. But it's not to be this way in the church. It is true that many in church ministry and leadership work tirelessly and self-sacrificingly. But the reason I know that they do this is the same reason I have seen in this community here. We've glimpsed the same thing that Paul glimpses in the churches that he's writing to and this Colossian church. In our roles in church leadership, we are humble to glimpse that it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. We may not be, and in fact we never need to be, the biggest or the most effective or the most influential of churches. We just need to hold on to this identity that we are given and to realise that it is a corporate identity. Not one personal person alone carries this identity. Not one person alone creates this identity in a church. And that's because hope is relational. It is reliant on Christ. It is reliant on you personally, but it is also reliant on the other followers of Jesus who you relate to. And this way, hope is actually Trinitarian, which is very different to the personal commodity that we trade hope as in our world today. Hope also doesn't mean that everything has to be perfect and everything has to work out all in the right way at the right time at the end of the story. It is a little different to reading a fairy tale story. One of the biggest mistakes Christians make is also one of the most common mistakes that we make. And that is to think that we have to have it all together because Christ is in us, then we have to be the perfect model of the moral crusader, never doing anything wrong type of Christian. But if that's what we do, then there's no room for Christ and Christ's hope to be shown through us. All that people outside see is an inauthentic version of who we are. The reason that phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory, means so much to me now is because I was convinced that every time he walked in for a lesson, he actually meant it. He looked at us and he saw the hope of glory. It was authentic. He knew all of us were different and flawed and failed and all learning. But there was authenticity in his words. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, but we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We're those clay jars. 
We're fragile. We break easily. So we don't need to be the best. We don't need to be perfect. In fact, the only thing we need to be is broken. For Christ in us to get out and be made visible and for our giftedness to be accredited to Christ and our relationships and our dependence on him and the church in which we worship and serve to be revealed. In the context that Paul writes to the Colossians, the word hope means joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. Joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. Hope is not everything getting back to normal by the time we get to Christmas. Hope is not the easing of restrictions. Hope is not the borders reopening. Hope is not the right person being elected. Hope is not economic recovery. Hope is not a vaccine. Hope is not the end of all pain, suffering or violence. Yes, we can and should pray for all of these things, but they are not the hope that followers of Jesus have. For us, hope is the joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. Paul endured suffering, and so can we, because of this type of hope. We can continue to endure in this crazy world that we're living in at the moment until this season ends with the sure and certain hope of the resurrection, but also the sure and certain hope that around the corner will be just another season that we'll have to endure with its own version of craziness. But we can endure it because our hope is different. We can do this because our hope is not in the temporal, not in the things that are here one day and gone the next, not in the material or in a personality. The biggest thing that makes our hope different is that we know what is yet to come. And until Christ comes in glory, or until we are taken into glory ourselves, we will continue to do the work of God, knowing full well that it is Christ in you the hope of glory. Let us pray. Lord, may these words resound in our hearts and our minds and our spirits this morning. We may not feel worthy or capable to bear them, to carry that hope. But in you, we find hope. Allow us to realise that hope that we have in you resides in us. And as we meet this morning in our homes and in this church building, as we go from this time of worship in a little while, might we be empowered with the confidence that you are with us and have an expectation 
of what is yet to come. Might we be bearers of hope, not just this Advent, but throughout our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.